NBA on NBC. What is up, everybody? This is Jim Mylock, and you're listening to Pot of Fame, the podcast where we break down the careers of former athletes and decide whether or not you're going to call to the hall. On today's podcast, we were talking about former MLB center fielder Jim Edmonds and whether or not he belongs in the Baseball Hall of Fame. And joining us in just a moment to discuss Edmonds' career and Hall of Fame candidacy is former Hall of Fame voter and longtime veteran from Sporting News, Bob Hilly. But before we bring Bob on, let's talk a little more about Jim Edmonds. Now, Jim Edmonds was on the ballot just back in 2016, fell off after his very first year, only got 2.5% of the vote in 2016. So it's now going to be up to the Contemporary Baseball Air Committee to vote him in. They vote for anyone that really played from 1980 onward. Um, They just, that committee just voted Fred McGriff into the class of 2023. So Edmonds won't even possibly be able to get into Hall of Fame at least until 2026. So a few years before you probably hear his name even coming up. However, let's still talk about him today. So Edmonds played from 1993 to 2010, 17-year career, mainly with the St. Louis Cardinals and the Angels. He was an eight-time gold glover and made some of the the best web gems we've ever seen and me personally has ever seen um, out in center field. He's also a four-time All-Star. He was top five in MVP vote twice in 2000 and 2004 and won a World Series championship with the Cardinals in 2006. For his career, he had a 60.4 career war. He had just under 2,000 hits with 1,949 hits. He slugged 393 home runs, which is actually good for second, 62nd all-time, and he had 240-plus home run seasons. He drove in 1,199 RBIs and was a 284 career hitter with a 376 on-base percentage, a 527 OPS, and a 132 OPS+. Plus. You might be thinking to yourself, is that slugging percentage? Is that OPS? Um, are, are those good numbers? They are. His slugging percentage is 56th best in MLB history. And I apologize earlier. That 527, that was not his OPS. <laughs> that was his slugging percentage. So I apologize for that. But that's a 56th best all time. And it's the seventh best by a center fielder with over 1,500 games played. Only ones higher, DiMaggio, Mantle, Mays, these are so good. I don't have to say the last name. Dimaggio Mantle Mays, Duke Snyder, Ken Griffey Jr., Earl Everell, and then it's Edmonds. Okay. So think of all the center fielders of all time. He's seventh when it comes to slugging percentage. And then his OPS is great too, 67th um, in MLB history. So not just center fielders in MLB history. So again, when I, you know, when I think of Jim Edmonds and when I was thinking about this episode, I I think of his glove, right? Eight gloves, all these web gems, made some of the best catches we've all ever seen. Yet, I think it gets overshadowed, that overshadows just how great of a hitter he was. Again, we're talking 56th best slugging percentage in MLB history. We're talking about 393 home runs. Like Edmonds was one of the better sluggers in an air when, again, steroids were prevalent. Numbers were inflated, but Edmonds has no ties to steroids. That that doesn't come up with him. So those power numbers, for all you know, case in point, it's it's, it's perfect. Those are the legitimate numbers. So he has the slugging numbers. He has the Gold Gloves. Got two point five percent of the vote in two thousand sixteen. Fell off the ballot. Why is that? Should we re-examine his career? Should he be in the Hall of Fame? Those are all things Bob and I are going to talk about today. Had a blast talking baseball with Bob. Had a blast covering Edmonds' career. So with the quick facts out of the way, let's bring on Bob. All right. So I'd like to welcome to the podcast today, former Baseball Hall of Fame voter and current consultant for The Sporting News, Bob Hilly, Bob, happy Friday. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Oh, Jim, I'm doing great. Uh, it's good that it's Friday. It's good that we're talking a little baseball. I'm always eager about that. Yeah. So uh, today's topic at hand is former center fielder Jim Edmonds, his career, his Hall of Fame candidacy. And um, for those of you who are not aware, Jim Edmonds was on the ballot back in 2016 
fell off after just one year, only got 2.5% of the vote. So it is now up to the Veterans Committee uh, to get him in. The Contemporary Baseball Air Players Committee would have to vote him in. This is a committee that looks at any player that's, you know, their main career happened after 1980. So there's a, a whole host of players in that kind of group. So he's kind of in a tough spot now. Um, and again, we're, we're probably talking about, you know, his, we're going we're gonna to talk about maybe a surprise that he did fall off so quickly. Um, but there's a bunch of players over history that have fallen off after one ballot that, that, you know, deserve serious consideration. Off the top of my head, you know, Kenny Lofton fell off after one um, year in the ballot. Another center fielder from this air. So maybe there's something about center fielders from the, you know, 90s and 2000s that get overlooked or whatnot. I'm sure we'll talk about all of that today. But, Bob, the first thing I'm going to ask you here at the top um, – if you're at a bar, you're at a family get together, you're just talking baseball and Jim Edmonds name comes up. What's the first thing that's coming to your mind? After seeing him for, for several years, Jim, I guess what, I mean, he was a very good ball player, dynamic center fielder, good gap to gap left-handed hitter who added pop later on in his career. Uh, I, I, like I said, I primarily saw him with the Cardinals. You know, we overlapped there for about eight of, uh, his 17 seasons. I gotta, I gotta say this pops to mind too, though. The guy had a little bit of hot dog in him, mm-hmm. a little bit of a prima donna, you know, so he carried himself that way. And that could work against him with opponents. And frankly, sometimes in the clubhouse, you know, it was, it was eye roll time. That's just Jim being Jim. Uh, but a guy who, you know, was part of a world series winning team in 2006, uh, which snapped a long streak for them. They hadn't won since 82. They finally win in in 2006, so that was a big deal. And I always like to close with this. Cardinals fans should always thank Jim Edmonds because he was traded to the Padres for David Fries. And if, mm. you're a, if you're a Cardinals fan, you know about David Fries because of the, the World Series in 2011 where the Cardinals were down to their last strike twice and Fries, you know, hits a two-run triple that, that sends it to extra innings and then wins it in a walk-off. The man will never have to buy another Budweiser product in St. Louis <laughs> for the rest of his life. Hometown kid. So that's just kind of a sidelight to Jim Edmonds. Yeah, no. And hey, I'm I'm not I'm not a Cardinals fan, I'm a Cubs fan, but as a Cubs fan, you know, you're very aware of all the Cardinals players. So um all, all of that makes a lot of sense to me. And you know, you bring up that, you know, those mid 2000s Cardinal teams that of course, you know, they won the World Series in 2006. Uh, they were also in the World Series in 2004, I believe. Um, and, you know, when I think of those teams, I, of course, you know, my mind immediately goes to Pujols. Um, I, I think of Molina, even though he's very young there. I even think of like a definite, uh, David Eckerstein. I, I think of all these guys. Um, and I think of Scott Rowland and I think of uh, Jim Edmonds, even though I, I think in the World Series, he was near the end of his career um, at that point. But the pecking order of those mid Cardinals teams, obviously Pujols is the number one guy. But, you know, you got a guy like Scott Rowland, who's now going to be entering the Hall of Fame. You got Molina, who looks like he's going to be in the Hall of Fame one day. Where did Edmonds fit in the pecking order of like, these are the best guys on these, you know, mid-2000s Cardinals teams, these great Cardinals teams that beat up on my Cubs all the time, all summer? He's he's among the top handful, obviously. Uh, the numbers he, he put up, even as he was kind of in decline a little bit, uh, but more important, I think, is that like that, that 2006 season, for example, is kind of a, a, a kind of him in a nutshell in the sense that, you know, he was banged up. He hit he ran into the wall in the summer and, you know, was kind of having lingering effects from a concussion and wasn't on the field a whole lot from, you know, like July on through the end of the regular season, but got just healthy enough for the postseason and put up decent numbers, especially in their first series against the Padres, but also was a guy in the clubhouse who was a veteran presence. You know, the the some of the guys you're talking about, Pujols and, and Molina, were still relatively young at that point. So they didn't, you know, they were still kind of getting their footing. So it was kind of important that those veteran guys, you know, could could say, okay, this is how we do it. Even though I'm not in the lineup, I can I can walk you through, here's how we need to prepare for this guy. Here's where this guy usually works, a young hitter. Mm-hmm. Here's how you adjust to him. So again, it's that it's that kind of the mental side of baseball that even when he wasn't healthy, he could help with. Yeah, no, no, that makes a lot of sense. And, and I guess if you look back at those Cardinals teams again, like you're, you know, you're taking someone you know to the park and you're like, 
you know, you got to watch this Pujols kid. He, he's, he's amazing. He's one of the best hitters we've ever seen. You know, the, are you talking, I, I guess after Pujols, after you tackle him, are you bringing up Edmonds next? Or are you bringing up a Scott Rowland next? Like, I guess, who are you bringing up to, to a, a fan or a friend who on that team next? Is it, is it Rowland or is it Edmonds? It's, it's probably Roland, I think. And, and okay. I say that just because the, I mean, very different personalities, right? Roland is very kind of, you know, very quiet, goes about his job while there was, like I said, that little bit of a preening act to, uh, to Edmonds. So that can, you know, you, you could say, you know, watch Edmonds, just watch how he carries himself because there's a cockiness to it, which is very different from, you know, a guy like Roland who is, who's more in the, in the mold of like a, a Nolan Arenado today mm-hmm. or uh, Goldschmidt, you know, guys who were just kind of pros, pros. And though Edmonds uh, was a very strong player and very good for that team and good in the clubhouse, uh, I think you got to go with Roland ahead of him and probably him next at that point. You know, again, there's, sure. there's guys that, you know, were, were up and down and, uh, you know, Eckstein was great in 06 and was amazing, you know, presence that that everybody kind of made fun of and then then you start adding you know the the scott spezios of the world again that that 06 team was just really interesting because it was this huge cast of characters that nobody saw coming together and then they did at the perfect time in october that great nlcs game seven against the mets uh which i i, I did a, an oral history of that team a couple of years ago for cardinals magazine and the stories those guys tell from that season are, are just phenomenal and you know Again, that's part of the game too, that these guys are great storytellers. And I got I gotta tell you a quick story about Edmonds. You know, oh, talking about how do. he made he he drive teammates to distraction. And I have I had a coworker at the sporting news who the local gas company in St. Louis would have fans send in your questions. And if it makes it on the air, you get to go down on the field with your friend of choice and you know, watch pregame, right? Okay. So my, my friend at the Sporting News got his question chosen. So he gets down on the field with a friend and a, a Cardinals reliever who shall remain unnamed here, but was a left-handed guy who was your typical left-handed reliever, a little bit, you know, a little bit of a loose cannon. They strike up a conversation with this guy and he says, hey, real quick, I've got an invitation for you. Can you guess who I am? And he starts going, oh, I hope I don't have to play today. I might get my uniform dirty. And the, my friend and his friend are kind of looking at each other and they're kind of, I'm, I'm puzzled. And finally this guy goes, don't you get it? I'm Jim Edmonds. Oh man. They're like, wow. <laughs> this guy doesn't even know us. He is on Jim Edmonds like that, the perfect strangers. So that just kind of gives you that kind of, it's, it's kind of the good natured needle, but mm-hmm. you no, know, there's a point to the needle too. No, that's that's great. Um, and yes, you know, his reputation there again, not not a Cardinals fan by any means, but that was always out there. We uh, you, we always heard that out here in Chicago. Um, and, and you read well, about you, that. You, too, maybe you, you maybe you remember Zambrano getting. Oh, yeah. The game for throwing at him. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, to be to be fair, to be to be fair, Zambrano tried to fight with everyone. But yes, Ed, Edmonds was that's up true. there in that. And that is something that kind of rings true to me. So. Um, Bob, I do want to move to our next segment here. Uh, we call this That Memorable Moment. And, and we're very liberal here. And, and all we do is we ask, you know, if, if it's a single play you remember, and, and with Edmonds, I mean, man, he had some all-time catches here, so it could be that for him. Is it a single play, a game, a playoff series, or even an entire season? But if you were to say, this was so-and-so's player most memorable moment of their career what would you say Edmonds was I think the the key piece Jim is that he had this knack for making his biggest plays at key moments Mm -hmm. so a lot of people I mean he was a he was a plus defender there's no doubt about that but he probably might not be as good a defender as everybody thought he was it's just he, he made these incredible plays so I put that in as the backdrop but to me, it has to be the, the 04 NLCS against the Astros. This was a, a Cardinals team that had become rivals with the Astros. 
the Astros were suddenly kind of feeling their oats in the rivalry and everything. And so they get to game six of the NLCS and they go to extra innings and Edmonds hits a, a walk-off home run to win game six and send it to game seven, right? So game seven starts and Clemens is on the mound for the Astros and Edmonds arguably saves the game in the second inning. Astros yep. score one in the first. They have two on and one out in the second. And Brad Osmus just hits a bomb to left center. And Edmonds makes one of his patented back to the infield diving catches that saves two runs. Cardinals go on to win the game, reach the World Series. And of course, they lose the World Series to the Red Sox, which is an amazing thing, too. But I mean, that two game, two play thing of a walk off home run followed by game saving back to the infield catch is is that's Jim Edmonds to me yeah that's the on the field that's the on the field thing I've got an off the field one too oh please uh, because I had the exact same memorable moment written down so we we went one for one there which is rare actually um so please provide the off the field one he this is he would shrug this off but in (laughs) in June 2002 when Daryl Kyle died in the hotel in Chicago Yep. Edmonds was very important in the clubhouse. He, you know, he wasn't really thought of a leader at that point, but the way he handled that was remarkable. It's important. Uh, so I- yeah, I, I, I remember that all happening. I was a, that happened in 2000, you said? 2002. 2002, yeah. So I was a, I was about 13 or 14 growing up in Chicago, or I was 13 and growing up in Chicago at that point. I remember that very vividly. Um, and how sad that was. Kind imagine, of imagine how that clubhouse was, though, Jim. I mean, yeah. Again, you you lose a guy that's thirty three years old, and you think yeah. he's a you know healthy professional athlete, and all of a sudden that happens. Well, I mean, what that did to that clubhouse, literally for the rest of the season, but especially in the initial days afterward, it was it was really important that someone kind of try and knit things together and. Yeah, there were other guys that that did the same thing, but I guess it surprised me that Edmonds was one of those guys. He just didn't, from the outside, he didn't seem to be that person. Yeah, yeah, no, I think I think that shows too. Like, it, you know, different situations call for different people stepping up, and maybe it's not always the people you expect, and and that's good to kind of know because I don't I don't think I knew that about him in that exact moment. So that's something I'm I'm learning here. Um, going back though, to your, to your point, uh, you kind of made earlier a little bit when you were talking about, uh, the catch he made in game seven of the 2004 NLCS. So, you know, one of the things with Edmonds outside of being, uh, you know, really good power hitter, actually, and we're probably getting the numbers a little later, you know, people talk about his defense all the time. You know, he won eight gold gloves and there's, there's not many center fielders in history that, that can say they've won at least eight gold gloves. It's really you know, Willie Mays is at the top with 12, Andrew Jones, Griffey have 10. Um, and then it's, it's Torrey Hunter, Edmonds, Gary Maddox, and Paul Blair, um, all, all in that next run with, with eight. And, and, that, and that's it. Everyone else is below them. But, but with Jim Edmonds, you know, if you look at, and again, defensive analytics still to this day, you know, I, I, I definitely read into them. I think they're important. Um, I don't think they always tell the whole story, but I think they give you grounding and Edmonds from a defensive analytics standpoint doesn't stand out as much as a lot of these other guys. And, and for me, a lot of it felt like, you know, I always think of Jet, Jim Edmonds as this great defender because he has all the web gems, right? He has all these right. diving plays, these always over the shoulder. I feel like he, like a football player catching like a, um, you know, just some, some sort of long pass. And I always feel like he was able to make all of these web gems because he wasn't the fastest guy and he was kind of slow and he was always a little late to get to the ball. So he had to dive. He, he had to catch it over his shoulder where the Andrew Joneses of the world, they didn't make as many, I guess, highlight plays because they got a good jump on the ball. They were fast to the ball. They were always in good position where Edmonds almost not being this elite athlete, he put himself in these spots to make the plays that we all remember. But as you said, kind of under, un, under your breath a little bit, maybe he wasn't as good a defender as we all believe he was. Yeah. I, again, Jim, I, I, I would describe him as a plus defender. And I, what you're describing, 
used to laughingly say in Dallas-Fort Worth is the, the Pete Incavilia conundrum. <laughs> and he was a guy who played for the Rangers way back in the day and had this tendency to make these diving belly flop catches in left field. And we would all laugh and go, yeah, great catch by Inky. Everybody else would have been, you know, parked under it and, you know, catching it in their hip pocket. And here's Inky having to flat out dive for it because he got a late break on it and wasn't particularly fast and stuff like that. So there's a piece of that with Edmonds. Uh, there's also the, the flair for the drama. He knows it's entertainment. Mm -hmm. You know, Edmonds, yeah. Edmonds knew what he was doing. Uh, he was very good at now the, the the defensive metrics are probably unfair to him in the sense that they really weren't honed that well until sure. late in his career. And he really slid off a lot late in his career just because of all the injuries he had had at that point. So, mm -hmm. you know, you, you probably take that with a grain of salt plus defender, but maybe the web gyms and they used to have signs in St. Louis fans would hold up signs say web gym except it was J-I-M instead of G-E-M because he had made another catch. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, so Web Gems, I actually had to go back and look this up. I was like, when did those start? So Baseball Tonight 2000, uh, beginning of that 2000 season is when Web Gems became a thing on Baseball Tonight. That is like, Bob, I got to tell you, that is like my peak air of I'm, I'm like 10 years old. I have nothing to do in the summer. Like I don't have a job. I don't, I don't. So I just, I'm up every night watching baseball tonight or I'm watching in the morning. And that's why I have such a fandom for a player like Jim Edmonds, because he was always showing up on there. The Tory Hunters, the Jim Edmonds, the Scott Rollins, my love for these defensive players were because they were, they were these web gym guys. And I feel like that was peak web gym time and Jim Edmonds uh, for, for better or worse. Like I associate him with being this all world defender. And again, you're right. He's a plus defender, but he's not to me now look, looking back, he's not in the same, you know, he's not in the discussion with Willie Mays, Andrew Jones, Paul Blair, or Gary Maddox. Some of those names I brought up earlier, he was a plus defender, which a great of a hitter. He was makes him a very great all around player but he's not in this discussion of best defensive center fielders of all time, which I think when I originally would just look at gold gloves, I used to kind of associate him with great defender, but maybe not as good as the eight gold gloves, maybe make him out to be. Yeah. There's a two pronged thing to this, Jim. And, and that's the sense that's, that is at the beginning of the regional sports network era, right? So all of a sudden we're getting all these, videos of guys making catches that ordinarily, you know, 10 years earlier, we didn't see them because they were shown on local over the air TV, but nobody was going to see them. You know, if I'm, if I'm sitting in St. Louis, I'm not going to see a ton of, you know, White Sox games. I'm just not gonna until we started seeing a lot of major league games, MLB TV and stuff like that. So there's that. And there's also just that those individual catches can give you a, an, an idea of the kind of player a guy is, though it may not be what he does day in, day out, you know, kind of like we said. Uh, and the whole gold glove thing, I think we all know that once you've earned a certain number of gold gloves, all of a sudden you start winning gold gloves every year because everybody goes, ah, well, he's won, he's won it the last six years. I don't mm -hmm. think he's fallen off because he made that great catch against us in July, so he must still be that good, you know? So there's yeah. always that kind of which came first. Yeah, it's it's almost with the gold gloves. I always took it like once you earn a couple, it's like you kind of have to lose it. Someone has to really come right. out of nowhere and, and take it from you or you're just going to pick it up every year. Um, all right. So let's move on to our next segment here. We call this and twins. I love quarterbacks eating dirt, pom poms and short skirts, fans who won't quit, and those twins. And what we do, Bob, it's an imperfect science here, but we try our best. But we look at Cooperstown today. We look at, we think of all the people who have a plaque in the Hall of Fame today. And it's never identical twins, um, but it's someone who reminds you of this player, whether it be statistically, the way they played. Usually it's some kind of mesh between the two. But if you were looking at Cooperstown today, who is the closest twin to Jim Edmonds? I, I, I go two different eras here, Jim, and okay. I, I'm trusting baseball reference on this. I'll be honest with that because, you know, I really wanted to try and get a look back and they do the comparables and, and I sure. studied them and looked at them. And, and initially it's, it's Snyder of the Dodgers. You know, the yep. numbers are very similar. Uh, Snyder was probably a plus defender, 
uh, but overshadowed by the other outfielders in New York at that point. So uh, I, he Snyder's numbers, both and advanced, are are across the board a little bit better than Edmonds. Uh, careers were about the same length. Uh, but again, now that I've looked at that era, you start to think, can you really compare somebody who played, you know, in the 50s and early 60s to someone who played in the 90s and early aughts? And that's a that's a difficult comparison, I, I believe. Uh, pitchers are di were different. Uh, pitchers got better. Uh, it's, it's just, I think that's a fact. So, so then I started thinking about contemporaries and Larry Walker is a guy whose numbers mm. are very similar to, to Edmonds and, you know, a guy who played right field as opposed to center field. So there's, there's that differentiation. Uh, and it's interesting as we talk in, in the framework of the hall of fame, it, it took Walker until his last year to get voted in. So I'm guessing he would have eventually gotten voted in. But he did get in initially, and this whole 2.5% of the vote here on the ballot is going to play like Muzak in the background of any discussion of, of Jim Edmonds. So, again, about the only area where he excelled, uh, Walkers, he had a few more home runs in a, in a few fewer plate appearances, but the numbers otherwise are pretty much a wash. So I think it's just kind of this idea of, Competing at the same time, comparable. If I if I picked if I had to pick a twin between Snyder and Larry Walker, I'd go with I'd go with Larry Walker. I think. I so I had the Duke Snyder thing down because I was just locked in at, at center field. But I I kind of love I love the Larry Walker comparison just because again they they're they they cross paths in the league and and you know Larry Walker also a guy who wrapped up his career on the, the Cardinals. Right. So right, right. Um, they have that kind of two. The, the only thing with walk, like Walker for me, of course, I think the big thing that people knocked him was right. All, all the years in Colorado, people didn't understand how to look at that part of his career. Um, even though, you know, he went, you know, he played for what Montreal and he played for Cardinals and he still put up relatively the same numbers, but you know, he was a glove and hitter guy, just like Edmonds. I love that. Uh, you know, I, I think his slash line is across the boards a bit better than Edmonds. The one thing he, the only thing he has like major differently than Edmonds is I thought Walker was a, a fairly good athlete in terms of, you know, he stole some bases early in his career, a um, little better base runner, things like that. But I do not, I do not mind that, that kind of comp at all. I like that better than Duke Snyder, as you said, just because, you know, it's more relative. I guess Walker does have that MVP trophy and did have the three batting titles to kind of hang his hat on that, you know, Edmonds, a four-time all-star, um, doesn't have those additional accolades that, you know, Walker could hang his hat on. I think there's, too, the idea of Walker had someplace other than Denver. His numbers, yeah, likely would have been a little different, but he also probably would have played center field, too. You know, center yeah. field in Denver is so enormous that there's no way he could have played center field there. So they would leave that to the Ellis Burks of the world. And uh, he was able to, you know, hold down right field, uh, had a good arm, uh, played a, a strong corner defense in the outfield. And so I think there's that piece. And, and, you know, I think he proved uh, early in his career with Montreal and then, you know, throughout his career in Denver that he, he was legit, you know, it, it wasn't a, a course field thing, you know, he was he was a Hall of Famer. Yeah, and, and as you said, right, he he was someone who took to his final year on the ballot to finally get. He just snuck in at seventy six point six percent in two thousand twenty. His first year on the ballot, he was only getting twenty percent of the vote. So again, that still leaps and bounds above what Edmonds got at two point five percent. But he started with only one out of every five voters thinking, you know, he he should be in, and he ended up getting in. And I got to ask Bob because he actually got on the ballot, and when you were still voting, were you one of those? you know, 20%, were you voting him in back in 2011, I, 2012? Do you remember? I, yeah, I, I do. I, I did vote for him. I, I voted for him every year. Uh, and uh, again, it, it, in the, in the framework of Edmonds, because he only got that 2.5%, uh, he didn't have that opportunity to, to kind of build momentum over the course of years. Right. You know, well, you know, got 20% this year, maybe I'll get, you know, 
30% next year and 40 and you know, then it kind of snowballs from there. So that's, that worked against Edmonds, obviously. Uh, and it, and it benefited Larry Walker that enough people saw him year after year on the ballot and gaining that, you know, maybe they went back and reassessed the numbers. Maybe they looked at the home road splits a little more closely and, you know, kind of figured out how exactly they felt about him. And then, you know, the, the voting roles change, you know, I, I rotate off, so I, I don't have a vote anymore. Someone else takes that spot and maybe they look at Larry Walker differently than I did, or maybe they look at him the same as I did. It's just a different generation of voters have different viewpoints on what's valuable in a player. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I, so I brought up Larry while we were talking and I kind of forgot this happened, but I said he got 2000 or 20% of the vote in 2011. When you, when you were voting, he actually dips down to 10% in 2014. He, he was, he was a few votes away from falling off the ballot. And then again, it, it just then picked up rapidly I don't know if the Twitter air of people tweeting about this or what, but then again, finishes strong and gets in the final ballot. But this is, this gets to Edmonds a lot, right? Which is what I, it's a big, what if in my mind, yes, he falls off after one year, but if he would have got, you know, the 5% needed, if he would have stayed on a couple of years, would momentum have builded behind Edmonds over time and I think it would have, again, I, I don't want to say right now, I think it would have got him in at some point, but what I'm saying is I think I, I sometimes hate, I understand why it has to happen. You got to make room for the next class, but you know, he fell off and now he's in a veterans committee, which is much harder in my mind to get in where uh, if he just stays on a couple of years, does he eventually build some momentum like a Walker who, when he first got on the ballot, didn't look like he was going to get in. Yeah, it's it's our it's our discussion here, right? And that's you know, would he have gotten into the hall? We we can't know that just because it, it didn't happen. But certainly, he deserved more than two point five percent. I think yeah. that's very clear. If you look at his numbers, they are hall consideration worthy. Yes, and it, he, he was kind of he was kind of rejected out of hand, which had to be kind of hurtful, I would think. And I you know I wonder looking back, is that just that? maybe didn't like his personality so you know that's it's it's a very real thing in, in bbwaa voting you know it's just if a guy was bad to the to the media that makes it a harder chore for that person to get in unless the numbers are so overwhelming or they're mitigating circumstances like steroids etc cetera, etc cetera. so i mean it's a it's a complicated thing yeah. So let's go talk about some of those numbers. So our final segment here is called court. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. And, and this is really where we kind of talk more, you know, pros and cons of someone's candidacy. And we've been covering this throughout, but there's somewhere I want to go with this um, uh, at first here, at least. And I want to talk about I brought up a little bit earlier, the center fielders, when Jim Edmonds played, it was, there's a lot of great center fielders um, that kind of passed through the league when Edmonds was in the major league, you know, major leagues. Uh, again, his career spanned from 1993 to 2010. Um, and we'll talk about maybe all of his contemporaries in a second, but like, I think of that time period, it's, you know, Griffey's in there, of course, Carlos Beltran's in there, Kenny Lofton. And then there's a, a bunch of center fielders like Steve Finley, Mike Cameron, Johnny Damon, Andrew Jones, Torrey Hunter. They're all kind of coming through the league around the same time. Uh, and there's several of them that I think have extremely similar skill sets to Edmonds. And the, the two I want to compare them to right now with you, Bob, is two center fielders who are currently still on the ballot. And again, we just talked about what if Edmonds was still on the ballot? Well, that's why I want to start here. So I want to talk about Torrey Hunter and Andrew Jones. So uh, in 2023, on his sixth year on the ballot, Andrew Jones got 58% of the vote. It, it looks like he is on the way in now. Usually when, I think almost every time you get up that high by the sixth year, uh, I think that player is getting in. I'm not 100% sure on that, but I know 58% year six, very good signs for Andrew Jones. And he's someone when he first got on the ballot, it did not look like he was going to get in. So he, again, has been building momentum. And then we got Torrey Hunter, who is in his third year on the ballot uh, in 2023. He got 6.9% of the vote. So he's he's hanging on by a thread, um, but he's still on the ballot uh, after three years. 
And, and when you line them up, just I'm talking offensively at this point, um, you know, Hunter had the most hits. Hunter actually had the most doubles and the most triples. Jones had the most home runs. Hunter had the most RBIs and steals. But when you look at the slash line, then Edmonds beats everyone in batting average. He has a much better on-base percentage, a much better slugging percentage, a much better OPS, and a much, much better OPS plus across Jones and Hunter. We know Jones might be the greatest defensive center fielder of all time in his 10 gold gloves. Torrey Hunter, another web gym guy, you know, stealing home runs more often than not. Um, I believe he had nine gold gloves. And then again, Jim had eight. But you look at their hitting numbers. I think Jim Edmonds across the board actually pops out as the best hitter out among those. Defensively, I don't know where you rank them. But I'm just looking at these center fielders who are on the ballot right now from that air. Edmonds falls off. Bob, I'm curious. If you're evaluating Andrew Jones, Torrey Hunter, Jim Edmonds, and you had one vote and you could only vote one of them in the Hall of Fame, who are you voting for and, and, and why? Wow, that's that's a really good question and a really hard question, I would say. I, I, would, I would dismiss Torrey Hunter just out of hand. I'm sorry. Okay. Torrey Take Hunter was a really good ball player. Uh, for my eye test, I just, you know, it's, it's not the hall of very good. It's the hall of fame, you know? So I think, uh, he's a guy who, uh, just doesn't, didn't pass the eye test for me. Sure. Under Jones is, is a guy that, like you said, I, it's hard to imagine a better defensive center fielder than him. Uh, he's right there with any of the greats of all time by really any statistical measure, I think. So, so now we're coming down to offense. I, I'm, you know, yeah, stolen bases, but, you know, stolen bases in that era, eh, you know, it's not like we're talking, you know, Ricky Henderson or, or Lou Brock or something, right? Sure. You know, so that's kind of a, a hollow thing to me. Um, it, I, I probably would, would vote Edmonds just as a, a, a ballot guy, but I probably would have to choose between those two, I wouldn't think. I probably would vote for both of them. That's a cop-out answer, right? So if, I, if I'm tied down to my chair and said, okay, you can't leave until you vote for one of these two guys, I'd probably vote Edmonds. Uh, and maybe that's, maybe that's colored by I saw him play a lot more than I, than I saw Andrew Jones play because I was at the ballpark in St. Louis a lot and could kind of consume Edmonds on a day-by-day basis as opposed to, you know, seeing – Andrew Jones on web gyms and, you know, seeing the Braves games on, on TDS and stuff like that. So, you know, it's a, it's a different deal, certainly. Uh, but I think if I was just absolutely made, I would, I would choose Edmonds. Do you think Bob that, uh, cause again, I I'm like uh, Andrew Jones down the ballot, obviously he's, I think going to get in if I had to make a prediction in the next, I would say two to three years. Why, why, why do you think he, you know, from the voters, he obviously stayed on after his first year and he's going to go in. Why do you think voters gravitate to Jones more than, than Edmonds? Do you think it is strictly that personality thing that you brought up before? Is it the fact that maybe some voters hang their hat on that Jones could be the best defensive center fielder? I know that's sacrilegious with Willie Mays out there, but I think there's a good discussion a debate there, but do you think it's the fact that Andrew Jones might be the best defensive center fielder we've ever seen? And it, you can't leave that guy out when, especially he has over 400 homers. Do you think having a nice round number, like he has 400 homers where Edmonds had 393 silly enough. Do you think that matters that Edmonds didn't join the 400 home run club? What, what do you think Andrew Jones had on his resume where people were maybe, you know, leaning toward him over Edmonds, at least from this voting aspect? I think you hit a couple of key points, one earlier in our discussion and one just now, and that's to, to surpass 400 home runs as an outfielder is important. I think uh, it is a premium power position. Uh, and he, you know, he, he hit a lot of home runs, you know, 51 uh, in 2005. So that's a, that's a, that's another hallmark, you know, 50 home runs in a season is a big deal. Uh, and then on top of that, there's this dynamic of if you make it through, the ballot one time there's what you talked to earlier the the social media aspect of his defenders start to rally to the cause and i don't know who his primary defenders might be but 
they clearly are having some effect that he is staying on and growing his percentages. So I think you're right. In the next couple of years, he'll he'll get in. And I think that will be in large part because A, he had a very good career, you know, and, and a long career, though it tailed off at the end, obviously. Uh, but also there are the ongoing annual debates and lists and everything else that kind of have an effect on other voters. Yeah. And, and actually, I I was trying to think back. I had to look it up. I was like, I think Andrew Jones almost fell off the ballot himself. And he kind of did in 2018, his first year on the ballot. He only got 7.3% of the vote. And in 2019, he got 7.5%. And then his, you know, he started, you know, he started on a upward trajectory up to 58% now, just a few years later, which is why again, and I make this point on a lot of a lot of my episodes here when it comes to the Baseball Hall of Fame, sometimes you just need a chance for people to discuss and debate your candidacy a little more. And again, Andrew Jones got 7.3% in 2018. I can't do the math off the top of my head, but maybe eight or 10 votes swing the other way, maybe less, and he's not even on the ballot. Um, and we're not even talking, we're, we're having the same conversation about him more as a, a senior committee guy than than someone who's probably going to get in the next couple of years. So it, it does matter a lot. And, and to be honest, like sometimes it just matters the, the first year you're on the ballot. Like sometimes the ballot's more stacked than others. And there's nothing that's, you can that's, do about that. That's a really good point. I mean, in the sense that there are years where you would be looking at the ballot and saying, gosh, is there anybody I can vote here? You know, now the opposite to that is, and I don't think this is as common now as it was. I may be wrong on that, but there there are there is this mindset of uh, I'm going to send in a blank ballot so mm. that that gongs somebody, you know, and yep. I'm, I'm probably going to blow up the podcast right now in, <laughs> in the sense that if yes, the Baseball Hall of Fame is a hallowed honor and it is important to the game and the people who are in it should have earned their way in it. But at the bottom line. The Baseball Hall of Fame is a baseball amusement park. Mm. I mean, we go there to bask in our favorite sport, right? You can't walk around Cooperstown and not think this is the greatest place in the world. Yeah. And you can't walk through the Hall of Fame for a couple of days, and it should take a couple of days, and not think this is amazing, and this is fun, and this is cool, and I get to read about all these guys. Well, if we're like consciously nitpicking to keep people out of that, I mean, what's the point in that? I mean, what, what are we doing? You know, it's, it's to celebrate the game. And I'm not saying, you know, put David Eckstein in the Hall of Fame. No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying if we had to discuss, you know, whether Jim Edmonds, you know, deserved or didn't deserve 2.5% of the vote uh, in his first year of eligibility, well, you know, I, it seems a little silly to me. Yeah. No, it, it is. And um, again, it, do, it does come down to that sometimes. And I was actually trying to pull up the year Edmonds got the 2.5%. And, you know, you look at, you look at the people that was Griffey's first year on the ballot. Um, him and Piazza got in that year. But if you look down the line of how many people, you know, ended, ended up in the hall of fame from that ballot, I'm counting right now. There's 11 Hall of Famers on that ballot to begin with, plus all the steroid guys like Clemens, Bonds, Sosa, um, Kurt Schilling's on there as well. Not a steroid guy, but a separate thing. So yeah. we're talking there's 17, 18 Hall of Fame worthy guys plus Edmonds, you know, <laughs> only being able to vote for 10. Well, you are going to fall off. Like I'm actually almost shocked now, Bob, as I look at this, that he even got 2.5% of the vote. <laughs> Um, to, to be perfectly honest with you. So a question for you as a, a former voter, do you, do you feel like it has to be a limit of 10 people on the, like you can only vote for 10 every, every year. Do you like that? Do you think that's a necessary requirement or would you like to see that kind of stripped away for situations like this, where someone's falling off the ballot, where a couple of years later, there's no chance they would have fall off the ballot. Yeah. I'm, I'm not smart enough to figure a system I don't, I don't think you can have people voting an unlimited number of folks. I think that just sure. becomes unwieldy. Yep. Uh, and, and even, you know, 
it's it's not a great process as it is anyway. Uh, I, ten seems like an arbitrary number. You know why ten? I don't know. You know maybe maybe some guy back in the 1950s or 1940s said, okay, we're going to let you vote for ten. You know I don't know. Uh, but if there were some way, and I, again, this is this is an impossible. This is a fool's errand to try and figure out. But if you can, if you could somehow quantify a year's class and say, okay, this is a class that deserves more than ten voters, and then maybe another one is you you quantify it some using the same quantifying factors. You look at it and say, we're only going to say you can vote for five this year. I, that's probably not possible, right? <laughs> Really not. It is is well. I mean, again, it's a system where you know people didn't vote for Willie Mays in the first ballot. I mean, again, there's this, there's all these weird peccadillos oh, yeah. of you know I'm not going to vote for anybody on the first ballot. It's like what yep. the heck is that about? You know. So the 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 system is flawed. There's no doubt about that. The voting group is flawed. There's no doubt about that. Uh, bringing our personal grievances and preferences and everything to the to the system. So. Uh, if again, if I'm tied down to my chair, I'd probably say I'd be a little bit afraid to open up the floodgates because we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, the unintended consequences may be something that you can't get the genie back in the bottle at that point. So I think I would prefer in great baseball tradition of, well, let's just stick to doing it the same way we've always done it. I yeah. say that in a year where, where I say that in a year where we're not doing anything like we used to do, right? Um, so Bob, last question for you before we get to final verdict here. Are you someone, how, how much do advanced metrics, war, jaws, things like that, how, how much do you take that into account when you're evaluating players these days? I think, I think you have to. Uh, and again, I, those advanced sabermetrics kind of evolved while I was in deeply involved in baseball. Mm -hmm. uh, and so initially it was like, oh, you know, Bill James, yeah, what's Bill James talking about now, you know? And yet now we can kind of see, you know, how OPS plus is better than OPS, you know, yep. you're just for the ballpark and stuff like that. Uh, and, and of course I've had to have several of these explained to me several times. I still have to look them up occasionally to kind of understand again, what, what is this exactly telling me? Uh, but I think it would be foolish not to use these stats that very smart people have come up with. They're a little esoteric for somebody who just wants to go to the ballpark and eat a hot dog and drink a beer and, you know, watch the game and just let it kind of wash over them. And that's okay. Uh, but if you're really trying to determine whether someone is one of the very best players to ever play the game, I think you have to lean on this. You know, you can't just say, well, I never saw Babe Ruth play, but certainly he had to be better than Jim Evans. You know, it's like, I, give me, give me a reason for that. You know, I think it's yeah. uh, the idea of how do we, how do we weed out the undeserving and include the deserving? Yeah. And, and the reason I ask is because whenever I've talked about a center fielder on, on this podcast, we did one about Kenny Lofton earlier this year with uh, Jim Ingram, fellow hall of fame voter. And, uh, we were talking about do center fielders get an unfair shake at the Hall of Fame because some of the best players in baseball history have been center fielders. I, I mean, you, you look at the top, it's it's the all-time greats. It's it's Mays, it's Cobb, it's Mantle, it's Speaker, it's Griffey, it's DiMaggio. It's people I don't have to say their first name because they just, they represent baseball. And, you know, when you look at the advanced metrics, right, like, um, you know, out of all center fielders, Edmonds war, it, it ranked 16th all time among hall of fame center fielders, the average hall of fame center fielders though at 72, um, you know, his jaws, which is a combination of his peak and in war, he, uh, Edmonds is 15th for center fielders at 51.5, the average hall of famer for center fielders at 58, all, all of the numbers are, the average is fairly high because of how great some of these players are. And it kind of, I think, pushes, you know, Edmonds doesn't look as great among the all-time great center fielders, but then you look at the names that are ahead of him and they're just these, these baseball gods, basically. Do you think playing center field, because you get compared to other center fielders and they're these names, 
do you think that kind of hurts or puts in an unfair advantage to the, you know, either the the Jim Edmonds or, or the Kenny Loftins or the Andrew Jones of the world, because they're compared to these people who aren't just Hall of Famers, but the best names of all time? Yeah, I think you've got a, you've got a great point there. And I think as you as you sit here and, and you know, make the case for Jim Edmonds, you know, you, you think about it, you know, he, he really was a rare breed, you know, he's a, a plus defender, premium position, and an all round threat at the plate. Uh, so then if you take the center field out of it, and you look at, you know, his war 60.4 uh, is identical to Harmon Killebrew. Yeah, third baseman, right. Uh, and it's a, a bit better than listen to these names. Vladimir Guerrero, you know, it's better than Kirby Puckett's. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's just kind of this idea of who are you comparing him to? And yeah, you kind of have to do comparing to center fielders, but if you're doing, if you're doing that and then saying, well, the average center fielders, you know, the center fielders, Hall of Fame center fielders war is this, that's, that's a tough go. I mean, like you said, it definitely is. And, and so then you just look at outfielders in general, you know, his, his career OPS, 132. That's in the same neighborhood as Ken Griffey Jr. You know, yeah. Down slightly from, from Jr., uh, but, but close enough. And it's, it's better than Kirby Puckett's, and it's better than Andre Dawson's by, by a long margin. Uh, so I think Puckett you know, gets a little bit of a, a benefit from how his career ended, right? The whole a vision thing probably yep. – got him some some votes but you know Andre Dawson was one of the best outfielders I ever saw play I mean I initially saw him as a minor leaguer in Denver which is a long time ago uh, and he was clearly a five-tool guy uh, and I think it's just kind of how, how are you going to compare a center fielder to a right fielder and it's a it's a difficult thing to do yeah so Bob we've reached the end here I'm going to ask you two questions this is his final verdict and then I'm going to answer First question for you, um, if you still had a vote and Jim Edmonds was up, would you vote for him? Do you, you know, do you believe Jim Edmonds belongs in the Hall of Fame, I guess is the question. And the second question is, do you think Jim Edmonds will get in the Hall of Fame in, in the next 50 years? I, I would say, honestly, that I, I, looking at his career now and really diving into the numbers even more deeply than I had, uh, I would say I probably would vote for him. Yes. Uh, now it gets, it gets a lot tougher uh, because once you fall into the hands of the veterans committee, uh, you really almost need a really strong advocate for you among those, what is it? Eight folks that are, you know, voting or, you know, it's 16, I guess. Uh, so you got to get, you got to convince 12 of the 16 that this guy is all worthy and he gets 75%. I, to me, the only way, let's, let's take a step back. He's, he's a really great outfielder, had a really great career, but now he needs a strong advocate in front of the Veterans Committee. And to me, the only person who would be strong enough would be somebody like Tony La Russa, who is, mm -hmm. Larusa is very good at promoting his players, you know, as Hall of Fame worthy. Uh, but unless unless Larusa is in that room making that case, and not, who knows if he would be or not, uh, I think it's a challenge just because that two point five percent. And you could push back as as you have, you know, look look at who he was up against on that ballot, and look at how he's held as a center fielder, but. It's, it's going to be hard. He had a very good career. He had stretches that were very strong, but he didn't play. I mean, he had several seasons where he didn't play more than 140 games. So injuries were an issue that kept him out of the lineup a lot. So I think there's lots of just different pieces that when you're in front of a small group, it's easy to promote the good things, but it's also easy to point out the bad things. And that's going to really hurt him, I think. Yeah. So I... I think he, I think he should be in, and I'm actually a little surprised by my answer. Cause I think going into this, I thought I was going to say no, but as I dug in a little more, like he, his hitting, like, again, I always thought of him as 
this plus defender who was a good hitter, but now I look at him as this great hitter who was a plus defender. I've almost switched it. I mean, he, he has the 56th highest slugging percentage in baseball history, and it's a long history, 56th best. And, you know, his OPS, it's the 67th best of all time. He almost hit 400 home runs, you know, 240-plus home run seasons. And his, his numbers across the board are extremely pro- impressive. And you throw in the eight gold gloves and the fact he made all these plays that at least, a, you know, a child of the 90s and 2000s, like, lit up my world and in all the fans my age world. It it meant a lot to me. So I, I do think he he should get in or he should be in. Um, I also think he was the third best center fielder from his air, um, which to me means a lot too. I don't think he'll get in though, Bob, I, I, that you hit on the head with the, you know, he got 2.5% of the vote at one point. If, if that was the case, um, you know, how, how is he ever going to get in? I, I think the veterans committee has so many players they have to go through. And, and I could list a number of people that are probably ahead of Edmonds on that pecking order. And, and, I think you were also right. I don't know, other than Tony LaRusso, like, I don't know if Edmonds has big advocates out there. Like, there's there's a lot of different groups. Um, there's, there's a whole, like, group of people, I feel like, that really believe Lou Whitaker belongs in the Hall of Fame. There's, there's people that back all these other individuals. I've never heard a peep about Jim Edmonds. Um, I, I really haven't. And, and I think he's just going to be someone who's overlooked. And again, he's he's a very borderline guy. If he doesn't get in, I'm not losing sleep over it. Um, but I think he is someone, unfortunately who fell off the ballot and never got another shot for a debate. And I just don't think anyone's bringing him back up in the debate. Uh, maybe he didn't make enough, you know, friends along the way or anything like that. We talked about his personality earlier, but, um, there's plenty of guys through baseball history that are, are a Jim Edmonds caliber player who aren't in and, and he might just join that group um, of just a, a player who excelled, um, who who did both, you know, defensive, offensively, um, played at a high level, but is just going to be not forgotten over baseball history, but just kind of out of the conversation if he's not already completely out of the conversation. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. And, you know, if if you were the person in that room advocating for him, I think you could you could you could make a compelling argument in the sense that. Three center fielders have had at least 400 doubles, 350 home runs, and a 125 OPS plus in their career. Willie Mays, Ken Griffey Jr., and Jim Evans. Wow. And besides wow. Evans, the only player to put together multiple 40 homer, 100 walk seasons at that position, a guy named Mantle. You know, again, the numbers are, are, are subtle, really. You know, what's a, what's a 40 homer, 100 walk season mean? Well, quite a bit, actually. You know, that's kind of a big deal. Uh, so it's it's unfortunate that he's going to end up not getting in. Unfortunately, too, how the, the Baseball Hall of Fame works. So he's just kind of a victim of the system. Yeah. And again, I got to vote for anyone that has the same name as me. So that was a given at the get-go <laughs> here. Um, but that kind of wraps this up, the Jim Edmonds episode. Again, I think we think he has a great case. Who knows down the road, maybe things change, but right now we don't think he'll ever get in. Bob, I really appreciate you coming on, talk about Jim Edmonds. Anytime we can talk baseball, any day, but especially on a Friday, that seems like a good day. I live right next to Wrigley, so there'll be a Cubs game starting here in a few hours. Uh, Bob, before we get you out of here, I I didn't ask in the beginning, but anything you want to plug here at the end, anywhere people can follow you on Twitter or anything else like that? Well, I would I would say they could follow me on Twitter, but then you might not know it's me actually anymore. So uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. That's a blue check mark joke. Uh, it's it's at Bob Hilly H I L L E. That's on Twitter. But I also would direct people to SportingNews.com. Mm. Uh, I'm I'm consulting with the company still. It is a very fine website. Lots of things to consider. Uh, all the major you know North American sports, but we've also grown into you know places all over the world so if you're into japanese baseball and want to read about it in japanese we're your place uh so uh coming off the world baseball classic that was a fun fun project for us that was so much fun everyone go check out bob's twitter even without the blue check mark follow him it is still him uh make sure you go check out the sporting news bob had a lot of fun thank you so much and have a great weekend
All right, Jim, thanks. It was fun being here. All right, I want to thank Bob again for coming on the podcast to talk about Jim Edmonds. That is all we have for today. So if you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Pod of Fame. You can also follow our Substack. It's titled Past, Present, and Future. You've done all that. You've done your homework. Have a great week, and we will talk to you next Monday. Take care.